Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Kent Manderville. Kent played 16 seasons of professional hockey, including over 700 NHL games with five teams, including our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. He played college hockey at the Ivy League institution, Cornell University, was a two-time World Junior Gold Medalist with Team Canada, and won an Olympic silver medal for Canada at the 1992 Winter Games in Albertville, France. After retiring from hockey, Kent used his big brain to earn both his financial analysis and financial planning designations, which he makes excellent use of today in his current role of wealth management for athletes. Welcome, Kent, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Thanks for that great introduction, Andrew. I always, I listened to that and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, wait, I did that. That's, that's, that's been a while ago, other than the wealth management side. But uh, no, I'm doing very well. Happy to meet you and uh, join you on this. I'm currently in Ottawa, Canada, in uh, snowy Ottawa, as I think it's snowy in Toronto as well. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, pleasure to see you and be with you. Well, it's great to have you. And yes, indeed, we did get our first snowfall as well. So we're going to exercise all those shoveling muscles. Kent, yeah. if I may ask, how is your family? Who currently makes up the Manderville household? Family's doing well. Uh, I think uh, a lot, a lot, like a lot of people are vintage. Uh, kids are off to school. My son's playing at uh, Colgate University. Uh, he's on a hockey scholarship. And my daughter is at a Canadian school and she's uh, doing well. She's a philosophy major with a business uh, focus as well. And my wife and I, like I said, uh, we, we're in Ottawa, been enjoying life. And uh, I retired in 2007. We moved around quite a bit, like you said, five teams. So we've been in Ottawa for a number of years, even though I grew up out west. But yeah, enjoying life, enjoying life, life after hockey, um, trying to connect with more guys that I played with since my career and since the busyness of the kids being young. Now they're they're a bit older. So life is good. Life is good. Well, fantastic to hear. And we are going to go all the way back. Get the Kent Manderville story. Where were you born and describe your upbringing? Yeah, so I was born in, in Edmonton, Alberta and, you know, going way back. So my dad was in the RCMP. Um, and so we moved around uh, quite a bit. My mom's a nurse and, you know, just very middle class. And uh, uh, my dad died when I was eight and my mom raised three kids on her own. She was late thirties. And uh, we ended up growing up predominantly in Victoria, BC, which just was a wonderful place to grow up. It's like a small town, really. Uh, rode my bike everywhere, just really involved in sports and athletics and my mom you know, as a single parent, did a wonderful job um, by being there always for us. So I, I really had a, you know, obviously with my dad passing away, um, that's unexpectedly, but uh, you know, and not great. But um, my mom, like I said, was always there for us. I left home when I was 16, uh, started playing hockey in small town Alberta in Redwater, moved to Victoria and just kept up with hockey. And but like I said, Victoria, you know, you do track and field and baseball and all these other wonderful sports left there when I was 16 to go play at Notre Dame in Wilcox, Saskatchewan. And for me, that was a hockey decision. But ultimately, when I look back, really is a life decision um, was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And so 
my mom was always a great support network and you know my family really but Notre Dame you know the teachers and the community and the fellow students I was there only for two years but it had a major impact on my life and still does quite frankly just with the people I met there the impact on my life and you know those pivotal years 16 to 18 and really led me on a good path and uh, so like I said decision was hockey related but I really grew up a lot there and couldn't say enough about the about my experience there. And um, and then, like you said, in the introduction, I went to Cornell. I went for two years, so I left early. I'm going to uh, slow you down, Kent, because I got I yeah. we, we need all the juicy details. You know, <laughs> Notre Dame, as you mentioned, it's really yeah. mythical. The Notre Dame <clears throat> Hounds of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League also famously produced Wendell Clark, Curtis Joseph. Now, were they teammates of yours? So I would buy, like Clark Wendell's a little bit older than me, not much, but a bit. But uh, yeah, so when I was there, you know, you'd see pictures of Wendell, and that's when he was making his impact uh, with the Leafs. So I went there from 88, uh, 87 to 89. And, you know, to the junior program that you mentioned, they actually didn't, the, the first year they brought the junior program in was my grade 12 year. And, um, so before that, they had a dominant midget AAA, bantam AAA programs. So that first year, I played midget AAA as a first year. But the core of that team, uh, they were runner-up the year before in the midget AAA national title in the Air Canada Cup back then, now t the TELUS Cup. But that core group was led by Rod Brindamore, um, who's also from the island. And I remember playing, you know, he grew up in Campbell River. I remember playing against him being in Victoria. And, and Roddy wasn't even the best player on his team. There were two wow. other guys that were very good. Like, I don't know what was in the water in Campbell River, <laughs> but they had one birth year that was just incredible. But Rod went to Notre Dame the year before, uh, a year before me, but he was the core group of that junior program. And in their first year of junior, uh, they won the national title. And they brought in some 20-year-old goalie from Ontario who happened to be Curtis Joseph. Yeah. And and I read Cujo's book. And I saw him after. I went to game one of the Tampa Bay uh, Leaf Series in the spring. And, uh, you know, and, and Curtis was there. And I was teammates with him in, in Edmonton for a bit. And um, so when he was at Notre Dame, he was 20. He, was, he wasn't part of the school. But, you know, I read his book and I was just struck by, you know, I had no idea about his background. And, 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 and I... I thanked him for being so candid because to understand what he went through and persevered with and kind of to be the person he is and to do what he did is, is truly remarkable. So, but Curtis, you know, was there um, on that team, 18 guys got division one scholarships. Like it wow. was just, and so I was a grade 12 that year. No, I was grade 11. Sorry. Grade 11, Rod and all those guys were, they were grade 12 and then some older guys, but, that was my first, like, I had a front row ticket to watch this. I mean, they lost six games in the regular season. Like, they oh. were dominant. But they, this is back in, the, you know, Saskatchewan Junior League. There were line brawls. And because they were a lot younger, they'd get tested. And it was um, it was something to see up front. But you could see the character. Like, Rod was years, you know, along in maturity. Like, he was he was just, I was teammates with him when he first got to Carolina. Then subsequently, I a month or two later, I got traded to Philly 
And I remember he was really, really down about the initial trade, you know, how he was told, which wasn't a great way. And then getting to Carolina. And when he raised the cup in Carolina, I couldn't be more happier for him because a guy, if you look at guys that deserve something like that, he's mm -hmm. top of the list. Mm -hmm. and just character and integrity. And truly, like, that's the Notre Dame embodiment. Like, he, he's a great ambassador for Notre Dame and same with Curtis even though he didn't go to the school but he was there for the year so I got a front row to that I, I wasn't on that team uh, but a lot of guys like Scott Pellerin is a guy who uh, went on to win the Hobie Baker he was on that team Dwayne Norris so I played World Junior the next year with Dwayne Norris uh, Scotty Pellerin Jason Herter and myself we were on the World Junior team the next year um, and then obviously Dwayne Norris, his son, Josh is here in Ottawa and doing very well, but that was like, it wasn't just Rod and Cujo. It was yeah. like, it was just a very deep team and I got a front row to it. And the next year I played junior and we were good. Like, I think we lost 16 games, but we were always seen as kind of the quote unquote yeah. failure because <laughs> we just, it's like leading, uh, you know, going after a generational talent. So uh anyways like <laughs> yeah. i said i went there for the hockey but so much of it was was you know the off ice stuff and and really growing up uh, there well what a great experience you had and then you went to your next great experience how did you end up at cornell university ithaca new york <clears throat> you know because of the success of the junior program the year before i mean the the program at Notre dame was heavily scouted so my recruiting trips, I went to Michigan, Michigan State, Maine, and I was going to go to Wisconsin. So, you know, the pick of the litter. And for me, you know, my mom's always emphasized uh, education. And, you know, I mean, I, I the Ivy League appealed to me, just the level of education. And I had one coach, and I won't say who it was or what program, but he said, you know, I told him my decision. He goes, Kent, where do you want to be in hockey in five years? And here I am. I mean, I'm a 17-year-old kid. I'm trying to make a decision. I remember I was actually in tears because, uh, you know, it just affected me because I'm trying to make a decision. I'm trying to do my best. And, and you know, to have somebody doubt you and and somebody in quote-unquote authority. So it's, but it's a business and I get it. But um, I went to Cornell just thinking. And so the other benefit was Steph Govan, who was on that junior team the year before and who was actually the valedictorian of the class the year before that included Rod and, and uh, you know, Pellerin and Dwayne Norris. Steph was at Cornell. And so going to Cornell, Steph was there the year before. And then I also went with uh, fellow graduates. Well, Jason Vogel, who I played hockey there as well. And he ended up working for the New York Rangers for a number of years. Um, and then Becky Schmaltz and Becky played for the women's team. So I think it was comfortable too. not that the mix of circumstances where I knew people there and, and those are good people, like just really wonderful people. So there was a support network and then, you know, the hockey, I was able to kind of make an impact right away. You know, the, the Ivies don't play as many games. The NCAA doesn't play as many games as Major Junior. And then the Ivy League is even less. So mm. I was fortunate that I was able to play World Juniors. The national team at the time would have summer camps. Uh, I think one summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I played in the Goodwill games 
um, which was in the summer. So I, I tried to play as much as I could. It was basically the education and, um, you know, the mix of who I knew who was going there. And it tr turned out to be just a wonderful decision, right? Like I just, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, and, and, and it worked out very well for me. Well, I would certainly say so. I mean, Kent, you're ahead of the curve. Today, it's much more accepted to uh, U.S. college as a valid route to the pros. But in your time, I correct me if I'm mistaken, major junior was the way to go. So for you to go to university and on top of that, an Ivy League institution, I mean, just fantastic. You had a huge impact. You were the ECAC Rookie of the Year playing for the Big Red. I want to know if you hang out at Cornell alumni events with uh, Ken Dryden. He is the, I guess, would he be the most significantly uh, well-known, other than yourself, of course, uh, alumnus of uh, Cornell? I would say definitely not. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, I mean, obviously Ken Dryden. So I grew up playing, you know, I idolized the Montreal Canadiens. And I tried to be a goalie. I couldn't stop a beach ball. <laughs> but for me... That was another thing. I, you know, when you look at Ken Dryden's career, he retired as a first-team All-Star, Vesno Trophy Trophy winner. Uh, they just won their fourth of four Stanley Cups in a row, and and the fact that he he retired at the top, you know, it's a, it's a little different too. You know, the money they were making, but just making a decision based on other factors than hockey. So that that was kind of an interesting quirk, but. But Joe Neuendijk, um, who is at the time scoring 50 goals for the Calgary Flames, he had he had been at Cornell just a few years before. And so the coach, uh, the assistant coach at the time, Mike Schaefer, who's now the longtime head coach at Cornell, he was teammates with Joe and obviously knew him enough to ask Joe to call me um, when I was getting recruited. And I remember it was over Christmas break, but I remember... You know, Joe calling me and just saying, hey, you know, you're going to hear a lot of things about you can't develop at an Ivy League school or whatever. And he goes, I, I made that decision myself and I never regretted it. Like you'll, you'll play, you'll play lots and, and, you know, just be confident in knowing that you're, you, it's not going to be a detriment to you playing in the NHL. Like you can do both and yep. do it well. And so for me, you know, that, that made an impact too. Um, but no question, I mean, Joe's been a great ambassador for Cornell hockey. Ken Dryden, obviously, with what he's done. But but Joe, um, for sure, is, is you know, one of the top. Like, those two are the pillars of, of the NHL alumni network at, at Cornell. But um, the fact that I only went for two years, you know, and then in the summers, I would go back to Cornell in summer school to try and make up classes. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Toronto, I went to U of T for a summer. Uh, when I was in Carolina, I went to Duke to try. So I was trying to patch it together. But that's the one thing that, you know, as far as Cornell goes, I, I was only there for two years. And so I met now my current wife, uh, who is on the women's team there. So I met her there. And so obviously, you know, major impact on my life. And I made a great decision in going there. I certainly don't regret it. But I was only there for two years. And I, I was kind of tunnel visioned at the time I it was literally like school and hockey and like nothing else like mm -hmm. I was very tunnel visioned and world junior for both years and then when there was a question of whether to go to play for the Olympic team and then turn pro I mean you know I talked to my mom and my mom had a great line she goes Kent 
Cornell's not going anywhere. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, as important as education is, you got to strike while the iron is hot. So I did that and uh, I, I wasn't uh, regretting that decision to leave. Like it was time to leave. And for my development as a hockey player, it was unbelievable because with the Olympic team, we were playing NHL teams. We played, I mean, the travel was grueling. It really accelerated my development as a hockey player, like tremendously. Well, you had so much going on, Ken. In 1989, while at Cornell, you were drafted 24th overall by the Calgary Flames in the NHL entry draft, second round. What? Where was the draft that year? Did you attend in person? And, and what was the buzz leading up to the draft? What were your expectations? <laughs> so minor correction there. I actually got, dra got drafted out of Notre Dame. Oh, wow. So that's the thing. So a lot of guys, you know, they're playing major junior, they get the exposure. So the year before Rod was drafted ninth overall to St. Louis out of Notre Dame, obviously. And then so my year, there was zero expectations. There was zero buzz. And and I remember once in particular, so, you know, junior A doesn't get the same profile as major junior. But I remember there was a there was kind of midway through the season where uh, we played Humboldt and Humboldt always had a strong team and they always had tend to have older players who had already played in the WHL. So we played them and we beat them 3-1 at home. And I think I had a goal and assist or something. But I remember listening on like, you know, the next morning in the dorm, we have the radio on getting ready for school and it was the Regina. And I think they had the score, but then they actually said something about me like potential first round pick Kent. And I'm like, wow, didn't even know. <laughs> and then my English teacher, I mean, this is before the buzz, you know, you get 24 seven social media these days, right? So, and then I remember my English teacher had the hockey news draft guide later on, like in May, and I was in there. Now, I still have the issue and, and, and the scouts, <laughs> the scouts were mixed on me. And I was supposed to be projected to be a third round pick. But um, yeah, Calgary surprised everybody. And it was actually the pick that they acquired for trading Rob Ramage to the Leafs. Oh, okay. So it was originally the Leafs pick. And yeah, I was the first, uh, I think it was first or second pick in the, or no, yeah, anyways, uh, early in the second round. And I didn't go. And the funny story about that is my graduation from Notre Dame was on the same day. Oh, wow. So the draft was in Minnesota <laughs> or Minneapolis, yeah. And I didn't even go, and I don't regret that at all. But my future brother-in-law was drafted 25th overall, right oh. behind me. Wow. So I would have met—I would have met my future wife then, <laughs> but I ended up meeting her uh, at Cornell, anyways. But um, yeah, so funny how things work. But uh, yeah, so I was 24th, and it was—and um, I got drafted somewhere between driving between Regina and Wilcox. Yeah. And somebody yelled at me, go, hey, congratulations. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I have no idea who picked me or whatever. And I'm like, great. You know, I'm late for the ceremony. So, but it was a thrill. I mean, to get drafted by Calgary. And they were the Stanley Cup champions at the time, too. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. And just for, for this particular market, an interesting piece of draft trivia in that same 1989 draft, the number one pick that year was none other than a guy known as Matt Sundin by the Quebec yep. Nordiques. Yeah. So that's quite a story. Now, thank you for correcting that. You were actually drafted out of Notre Dame, but while yep. you were at Cornell, you played yep. for Canada in the World Junior Hockey Championships 1990-1991. You yep. won gold at both. 
what were those yeah. experiences like oh they were amazing i mean the first year when i went to world juniors i remember going to the the summer camp so again all this is really coming quickly right you get drafted in june and then i still have the letters and the correspondence from like the camp rosters from the world junior like the summer camps and i remember going there and it was just after the the gretzky trade so marty jelena was in that trade and he was at the camp and i ended up playing with marty in carolina but i mean she looked like a man like among boys like and he ended up playing in the nhl that year but i just remember you know you go from wilcox playing junior a and now you're playing against all these guys who are basically the stars of major junior or ncaa whatever so that it was incredible like i just you know and obviously there was eric right eric lindros and the buzz and the hype around him so there's a lot to take in but i think for me when you start playing you realize i can play her like these guys make mistakes like anybody else and i think it was just the realization and the confidence just to say, okay, you know, I belong here. And, but I do think that I was a bit of a surprise pick to be on the, on the ultimate team, like after the, the winter camp in December, but you know, and then you get, so my roommate was Mike Ricci. And at the time Reach had played the year before in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm like, if the phone rings, it's not for him. Like if the phone rings and the phone is like, they tell you you're going to get a call at 7am or some ungodly hour. And you can hear like, I don't even know where we we're staying, but the hotel walls are so thin. So you can hear the phones going off. I don't think I slept that night. But I just, you know, and then you get the knock on the door at eight or whatever. And you know, it's like, honestly, like Christmas, like you, the elation, you've made the team. You're going to Helsinki, Finland, the plainly like, here's all the stuff, the jackets. And I mean, you're just, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the best feelings you'll ever get. And then going over and training there and playing on, like, it was my first time in Europe, first time with jet lag. It was, and the guys, like, it was, it was intense. And the fact that we, they didn't have the playoff format. So it was around Robin. And then we had a fortuitous bounce where, you know, the Swedes tied the Russians at the last minute. And then we ended up beating the Czechs. That's, you know, Bobby Halik and Yager were dominant. Robert Reichel on that team was dominant. So there was just all this stuff with, um, it was just really good memories. And it's funny because I can't tell you what I had for breakfast this morning, <laughs> but some of that stuff, like I can remember, I mean, I it's astounding to know like how many years ago that was yeah but but good memories and good guys right chris draper and Stu barnes and you know we had steph Pissett, who was unbelievable in that and i played on a line with eric lindros and uh, steve rice and uh like it just good guys extremely competitive a lot of pressure and then the next year in saskatoon was next level right because tsn had the rights the year before with cbc so it was the first year TSN had the rights and they, they did everything right, right? And then you have the, the goal with John Slaney uh, in that last game against the, the Soviet Union. Uh, the Soviets had Pavel Bure. Uh, like it just, you couldn't script a better story and TSN just did a wonderful job with it. And it's in Canada and Saskatoon. Yeah. And, and it, just, it just gives me goosebumps. And it always, we had a bit of a, reunion uh on a zoom call and i think it's online or whatever and scotty thornton 
And uh, Mike Sillinger and Stephen Rice and I we were texting uh, just recently about it. Uh, I think Thority was listening back to the to the pot like their our Zoom call, but just great memories. And it always we had a 17 year old defenseman who barely maybe played a few shifts all tournament, and he turned out to be the best player of all of us, Scotty Niedermeyer. Wow. And and we're just like wow, like here's a guy. <laughs> but that's and then our extra forward at the beginning was Brad May. <laughs> who had an amazing NHL career. And and it was just, again, it was a really cool collection of guys. Uh, Trevor Kidd was in that. We had Felix Potvin in that. And uh, just really good memories. But yeah, you just, and all this, like all the stuff you talked about in the intro, that's literally before I was 21, 22 years old. <laughs> well, that... Then you're like, I'm gonna just retire. I'm gonna retire. <laughs> well, I would have said, thank you. Good night, everybody. Yeah, exactly. That's but... it. Drop the mic, bye. But Kent, you were just getting started. While all this is going on, Toronto acquires you as part of a 10-player trade early 1992 between the Calgary Flames and the Leafs. This brought Doug Gilmore and Kent Manderville to Toronto. Gary Lehman went the other way. How did you find out about this trade and what was your reaction to it? Well, I was with the national <laughs> I was with the national team that year. So we had played up in northern Alberta the night before and we got in late. And I remember, so I lived with um, a family of of, uh, of somebody who I went to Notre Dame with. And so they treated me like one of their own family. And, um, but Chris, uh, Chris, the, the mom, she wakes me up. She goes, um, Doug Reisbrow's on the phone and I think you, you need to get this call. And it's at seven, it's, it's really early. And, and so, you know, I'm all groggy and he's like, yeah, we made a trade. We traded you to Toronto or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm still half asleep. But I mean, it's exciting because I think Cliff Fletcher had left Toronto, uh, Calgary, had gone to Toronto. And uh, I think whenever you have a regime change like that, I wasn't sure where I fit into their plans for Calgary. So when you get traded and, and plus the Toronto market, when you get traded, you know, they want you, but the person that drafts you trades for you so I'm, I was very happy and we ended up playing with the national team. We played each of the Canadian based teams as a lead up to the Olympic team, uh, the Olympic games, but we played in Toronto, I think in late January or January or something. And I remember playing I mean, like the media attention, not only of the game and obviously again, Eric Lindros was on our team too. So Eric had a ton of exposure. And then for me, after that trade was kind of cool. I think I ended up getting an assist in the game and one of the guys were all like happy celebrating and Randy Smith, he goes, Mandy, that's going to be an extra year on your contract. That's awesome. <laughs> like he's, but it was just, it was a fun time. It was exciting. And, you know, I'd never played uh, obviously with Calgary at all anyway. So um, it was, it kind of led to the path after the Olympics to be a little bit smoother because I knew where my landing spot was going to be. And that was just um, exciting. Well, a month, just a month after this trade was made, you then go to the Winter Olympics in Albertville. You're part of the Canadian team, which won silver. So, I mean, you got all these great experiences. You're all excited. Tell us a little about the experience in Albertville. If you, if you asked me growing up, would you rather play in the Olympic Games or would you rather play in the NHL? I would probably say I'd rather play in the Olympic Games. And I, I don't know what it is about it, but I saw my first Olympic Games that I really remember was in 1984 when they were in Sarajevo. And I remember watching the games 
and of course you know it's a grainy picture or whatever and it's like for me just representing your country and whether it's world juniors or you know the national team or whatever but the olympic games is truly the pinnacle i mean it was um you know when i look at my career it's pretty it's pretty cool to look back on it at the time for me it was a stepping stone to the nhl but it was really a goal that i had set for myself for a number of years so to be able to to achieve that and again you know before the team was named i was very nervous and and when i got the call um just super excited my mom came over mm. and so that was nice to share with her and our games were every second day so we played the same day as the opening ceremonies but we didn't really have a chance to see other events because the way it was in the French Alps and travel wasn't super good because you had to get, you know, go down the mountain, go back up and down. So we didn't really. And and from an athlete village perspective, we were we were isolated. We were just with the hockey teams. So we didn't have that whole we went down to the, see the athlete village, the main athlete village. But that's the only thing that I would like, it would have been cool to be at the main athlete village, but other, I mean, still, uh, but it was every second day. So it was pretty intense that you're playing day off. We would practice game. I mean, I still have all the notes of the teams and, uh, and everything like that. Like I'm a pack rat that way, but to, I'll never forget stepping on the ice and you see the Olympic rings and it's not, it's not for an advertisement. You're at the Olympic. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the rink wasn't super big. I think it seated maybe five or 6,000, but most of it was media. Like you see all of the international media there and, and you just, you know, you're, you're on the biggest stage you could be internationally. And so it was incredible experience. And just, you know, I kept the diary and I just, I recognized, I recognized the importance of it. And I tried to remember and diarize it and memorialize it as much as possible. And it was, and again, like I said, for my mom as a single mom to raise three kids, yeah, it was pretty special to share it with her because she's, she gave up a lot for me to go to Notre Dame and to go away. So it's pretty impressive to share that with her. What an excellent experience. And when you look back, obviously having all these great memories is so important and describing yourself as a pack rat. I know you're going to have a good answer for this, Kent, two gold world junior championship medals a silver Olympic medal. Where are these three medals? Where are they physically kept? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, the the World Junior medals are just, you know, I've got them stored away. I'm not a guy, you know, and, and, and we're on video, but this is a podcast, but I put up some things in my office. I've got the first goal I scored in the NHL. Uh, Cliff Fletcher always had, uh, you know, that framed and everything. Um, and I've got uh, a few other things from my career. But yeah, I, I'm not a guy that has that displayed everywhere. And same with the Olympic medal. Um, it's kind of tucked away. So I do look at it from time to time. But uh, yeah, it's more the memories than yeah. just the actual medals. And uh, but yeah, it's I've got them. I just <laughs> I don't have them displayed. But yeah, and, and all the jerseys that go with it, too. I got all those, too. It's uh, uh, I don't know what the heck I'm going to Wow, well, that's fantastic. And that's something even your kids will certainly enjoy. Kent, soon after these Albertville Olympics, you began your NHL career with the Maple Leafs. You finished the 91-92 season. You played 15 games that season for the Leafs. Now, by definition, would that have been your rookie year or do they count it as the next season, 92-93? 
good question. I, I don't know if I, I don't know what the threshold was back, back then, but um, yeah, I mean, then I was just, Tom Watt was the coach. The team was trying to make the playoffs. And I remember, you know, this is your welcome to the NHL moment because Cliff had taken over and uh, you know, there were a lot of guys that were going to be moved. And of course we're flying commercial right back then. And we were on a road trip in LA and we flew from LA to Minnesota. And while we were up in the air, the trade deadline happened. Oh boy. And I remember, this is so funny. Cause this is like, this is a business, but I remember Bob Stellick going to the phone and you know, of course no cell phone. So he gets, he gets the call or whatever. And then he goes to the ticket, ticket counter. And I don't know, I forget how many you would, you would be able to check and see how many guys got traded. But it was like he was a card dealer. He's like, okay, you're going to the New York Islanders. You're going to the Buffalo Sabres. You're going to Winnipeg. You're going, and it's like all these guys are getting traded. Now, obviously we had guys coming back, but it was like, okay, yeah, this is a team, you know, I mean, Cliff's doing his wheeling and dealing, um, but uh, that was a welcome to the NHL moment. When And then after that, I got sent to the minors to play in the American Hockey League playoffs. And Mark Crawford was a head coach. Joel Quenville was the player assistant coach. And we ended up losing in the Calder Cup finals in the seventh game at home to Adirondack, where every home team in that series lost the game. Oh, wow. So that's not when you want to have home ice advantage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were coached by Barry Melrose. Alan Bester, I believe, was in net. But uh, we had... Uh, Felix Potvin, uh, Yannick Perot uh, was very good. I played with Mike Eastwood there. Um, we had a good team, but it was really fun to kind of come into that yeah. uh, experience and just play a lot and get used to the pro style. And um, and yeah, it was, it, again, you know, you look at these development, it was just, it was another uh, step in development. So, and, and being in St. John's, like how they supported the team was incredible. Yeah, I mean, wonderful people. They, funny story, a little backstory. My grandfather was as high up as an officer in the RCMP, and he was he was a top RCMP official when he was tasked to when Newfoundland came into Confederation, and then they were consolidating the police forces between Newfoundland's. I think they called them the Royal Constabulary and the RCMP. So. My mom and dad actually met in St. John's when my mom was visiting her parents who were stationed there. And my dad was an RCMP officer. And I think it was my grandmother set them up for the New Year's Eve ball. <laughs> so my grandfather used to referee hockey games at that Memorial Arena back in his time. And, you know, this would be the RCMP team playing whoever. But, uh, you know, and I remember when I played there, he told me about that. He's like, yeah, that, I, you know, and they, they had refurbished it, but it was kind of cool to know the history there. And for me to play on the other coast, mm. to be playing there. And I mean, like I said, the fans were incredible. And that was a great playoff run, um, really great team. And uh, yeah, it was great memories. Hey Toronto, a West Coast IPA is a great idea when the days are getting shorter and the air a bit colder. Take in the aromas of brown sugar and savor the blend of pine, citrus, and earthy cereal in Henderson Brewing's Escape Art West Coast IPA. 
Available now at their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Or order now at hendersonbrewing.com. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. Just heating up for you, Kent, because next year, which was your first full NHL season, and you played with the Leafs, 92-93, this had the magical run in the playoffs, which ended in a conference finals loss to (coughs) Wayne Gretzky and the LA Kings, only a win away from facing the Habs in the Stanley Cup Finals. We are not going to relitigate the uh, Kerry Fraser call, (laughs) non-call, because I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing about that. But I do want to get your impressions of, in memories, of that incredible playoff run in 1993 well for me that year was i started off in toronto and then i get sent down to st john's in uh i think the first week in december and uh you know professional hockey is unpredictable and i think a lot of it was my confidence and and just kind of sticking at the nhl level and and it truly is a grind when you're playing so many games um, but my mom was coming out to Toronto to visit me. She took the red eye from Victoria. I get sent down. I oh meet boy. her at the airport and I just started buying her tickets. Like we're like, okay, we're going to St. John's. And she actually followed St. John's like the Maple Leafs uh, through the Maritimes when, you know, we're playing in Moncton or Halifax. So she was visiting for, I think two weeks. And uh, that was the best time to spend time with her. Right. Like, yes, yeah. you know, just, you do what you do. But um, I was sent down between from December and then the rest of the way. Playoffs started in April. Uh, I played in St. John's and there was a municipal strike in St. John's. I think it started in January. So we had to play our home games on the road. Oh, no. So we're doing that. And we I mean, it was a it was like out of a movie. We were playing like it was crazy. So. We were on the road, and then finally, as the playoffs were coming up in the American Hockey League, Halifax, I don't think, was going to make it. They were Quebec's uh, farm team. So we were going to use Halifax's rink as our home rink for the playoffs. So I think we played one or two games. I played in the in the playoffs. Mike Eastwood had got, he got called up to Toronto. And then in the first part of my series in the HL, I got called up to, hmm. in the first series against uh that Toronto had against Detroit. So they, there was an injury and then I, um, they got hammered in game one. And then I got called up. I took warm up in game two and I forget who the injured player was, but he ended up playing. So I took warm up and the speed difference going from the American Hockey League to the NHL is huge. So I'm just like, okay, this is in Joe Lewis <laughs> arena too. I'm almost thankful. I'm like, okay. That's fine. So game two happens. And again, lopsided score. Like Detroit's just, you know, crushing us. And uh, and it's a tough rink to play in anyways at the best of times. So the team before the playoffs, the Leafs, they had um, gone to Collingwood or something. And then they flew from there. So nobody had their cars at the airport. So they arranged for, you know, they got like, the airport limos or, you know, the town cars to, to pick guys up and take them home. And there might be a few guys in each car just to make it more efficient. So Mike Eastwood and I are staying at the Weston Harbor Castle. And the other person in the area is Pat Birds. <laughs> oh, boy. So the team just drops two games, lopsided losses. And we're, 
Eastie and I are going to share a car with Birdsey. <laughs> and it's like, okay. We're, and we're just like, oh my goodness, like this is going to be horrible. And we're really worried. And we get in the car and actually Pat was, he was fine. Yeah. He was, it was almost like if they were close losses, that would be worse. But I think like he was, he was, you wouldn't know that they just lost two games. Anyways, he goes to me, uh, so Kent, uh, you play any center down there? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I've been a winger my whole life. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I played center. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't know. He'd just talk to Mark Crawford. <laughs> and I'm like, and he goes, okay, good to know. So the next game, I'm playing center, and he's got me going against Fedorov. Great. And who's like, you know, at the time, Hart Trophy winner or whatever. And and I remember playing game three in, in Toronto. And, you know, obviously we know the way the series went, but mm -hmm. just the adrenaline and the high and, and it was like, and, and the guys, because I had played with them early in the year. And I mean, that was a great, great group of guys. Like just fun. You know, there was such a mix of personalities between, you know, obviously with Wendell and Dougie. I mean, that playoff run, like what Dougie did, that, that was incredible to see up close. And just, you know, and then, you know, Dave Andrichuk and Jamie McCowan, Bobby Rouse and Billy Berg and Zez and Ozzy and all these guys, Cruiser and Mike Felino. And he's just like, as a younger guy, it was, it was incredible to be a part of. And, uh, you know, like just, just to go through those teams and playing, you know, game seven beat Detroit, game seven beat uh, St. Louis. And then go to Game Seven with LA. Um, you know, it's unfortunate how how it ended, but it seemed it seemed that it was like destiny for that team. Yeah, and it was not. And I remember Wendell. You know, we when when Pat Burns was sick, we and I was playing over in Finland. I was home for Christmas, and uh, we had a bit of a reunion with at, at one of the games. And I remember the Leafs were playing Tampa. And I flew in just just for the night. I should have yeah. stayed overnight, but I flew in for the night, and uh, and then I had to fly. I was flying back like midnight or what, eleven or whatever. But we all got together, like Dave Ellett. These guys were so nice to the younger guys, like guys like Dave Ellett or or Wendell or whatever. They'd be like, "Hey, what are you doing for dinner? Let's mm. go out for dinner." They were so and so obviously with the Notre Dame connection with Wendell, like he was just. He's the most unaffected guy. And you could think being in Toronto, big, you know, who could not have a big head? And he's the most level-headed guy. And still now, like I'll see him today. Like he hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. He's the same. And and I think it's a credit to just to kind of what kind of person he is. But like Wendell and I, we were roommates on the road for a while. And uh, just the, just good people there. But at that Leaf game, when we had the reunion, I think it was Wendell or, or Dougie Gilmore said Pat Burns, and he won the cup with uh, New Jersey. Burns, I guess, had one team picture up on his wall, and that mm. was that Leafs team. Wow. And even though we didn't win, I think Pat, he really put his fingerprints on just the, the workmanlike effort and just, you know, it wasn't flashy. You had the, you know, Dougie doing his thing. But Dougie would also be blocking shots and, you know, 
everybody did what it took and it was um and i just you know obviously regret it didn't you know we didn't get to the finals but it was um it was a special time and that doesn't happen all the time in sports and i was i'm very proud to be part of that group well what fantastic memories and certainly exactly what you said kent even though it didn't get all the way there, those memories among all the fans in this city are still so well thought of. And as you just said, it doesn't happen all the time. Here we are, we're entering our 56th campaign looking for that yeah. cup, but we yeah. still finally look back at that 93 run. Now, I wanna know about a little bit about your life when you played for the Leafs. Do you remember where you lived in Toronto? Like what was your, you're a young guy. Uh, did you enjoy being in the city as well? Uh, no, I loved it. Uh, again, I'd, I'd never been in Toronto, uh, and like before I was traded there. So I remember I was there with the, I was there for the Olympic team when we did, did play the Leafs and my at the time girlfriend, now wife was playing hockey for Cornell women's team. And for whatever reason, they were in Toronto when we were in Toronto and they were playing, I think they played at Maple Leaf they didn't play but i remember going into maple leaf gardens for the first time in person and just being like you know as a kid watching the different camera view angles right like the gold seats and 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 you'd see the benches and everything and just to see it in person i mean it was like going into a cathedral or something but for me um yeah so the being in a city well first of all this is in the early 90s so after the real estate boom the bust I wish I bought lots of real estate. <laughs> yeah, me too. We'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> me too. What was I thinking? But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I first lived on Wood Street. I lived by myself, hated living by myself. Um, I really have had a tough time as a young guy being on my own. And then when I ultimately was with the team full time without, you know, I ended up living with Gord Miller from TSN. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And Gordon and I lived in a fourplex on Madison Avenue in the annex. And there was upstairs, there was Wendell. Like you didn't even have to go out at night because Clarkie would bring back the bar and everybody <laughs> back to his place. So Wendell lived upstairs. Donnie Meehan was the landlord, super agent. And then Peter Zezel lived on the other side. And uh, so, yeah, we lived in, in the annex and I didn't even own a car for some of the time I was there, I just took the a cab or the TTC and just uh, some of the places that I loved going to. I mean, the restaurant, we go to Alice Fazuli's a lot when that was first opened and would go out to Le Baron, the steakhouse, which, you know, didn't look like much from the outside, <laughs> but you'd go in there and we'd go there quite a bit and, uh, you know, basically just follow wherever Wendell was going. I'd, yeah, I'd go. But one place non-hockey related that I loved was the world's biggest bookstore. That was just the north block of uh, King and Young. Yeah, on Elm. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I remember going there and just like loving it and, and reading. And that's actually when I started reading all these finance books and, and kind of looking at that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I remember back then, you know, going to Phantom of the Opera and, and all the, you know, the musicals and the plays that were there. And uh, it was just such it's such a great place to be a young person in. And uh, yeah, so that's it was pretty boring. Like I just I lived, breathed hockey and would go to the rink. And then after that, we would go out or whatever. But uh, 
yeah, not not too exciting. Well, that's fantastic that you got all those memories. It's, it would be great to be living in the city. And like I told you, we're the same age. My dream was to put on the leaf sweater and live in Toronto. You did yeah. the dream. So, I mean, these are all such great memories. Out of respect for your time, I'm going to fast yeah. forward through some of your career. I didn't mean to minimize it, but you did have stops. No, I think it's good to minimize it. It's, <laughs> it's, there's a lot to minimize. <laughs> it stops with Edmonton, Hartford Whalers as they transmitted into the Carolina Hurricanes, Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins. But what I did want to ask you about, Kent, was when your NHL career ended in 2003, you played a few seasons in both the Swedish and Finnish pro leagues before you finally retired in 2007. Yeah. I want to ask about your experiences playing in Scandinavia. What was the quality of play like and what was the quality of life like over there? Quality of play was uh, was very good. A lot of really good skilled players, especially during the lockout, which is why I wanted to kind of, I didn't get a contract in the NHL, so I wanted to get over there before the lockout. So we had on our team during the lockout, Freddie Modine, Henrik Zetterberg, uh, goalie was Mika Kiprasov, we had Aki Berg. Um, but just in general, it, it was, uh, you know, the Swedish league was very, very skilled, um, bigger ice surface, a different style of hockey. Um, but one, and, and one that I think a lot of North Americans struggle, you know, I talked to some guys and some guys, you oh, know, it was really good. I liked it. Some guys hated it because of the style. So I, I'm a decent skater. So with the bigger ice surface, it, it actually worked out okay for me. But the quality of life, my family was there with me. I played in Timro, um, which was a smaller town, um, like I'd say five hours north of Stockholm. And the bigger city is Sundsvall, which is over 100,000 people. But yeah, so the kids were in uh, Montessori preschool. Uh, we had a wonderful um, teacher in particular, it was Anna Lee, who is wonderful with the kids. So we really made sure to get the full Swedish experience. And when guys say, oh, how was it? I'd say, well, have you ever played with a Swede you didn't like? And they'd mm. be like, no. And it just very similar to Canada. Um, just, you know, wonderful people uh, and just uh, a great life experience. And they treated not only me very well, but, but my family very well as well. And then Finland was a one and done. I was just there uh, for a year. My wife stayed home. My son started grade one. And so my wife was doing her bar admission course. She was doing that. So I played in Espo and it was great. Statistically, I played with Martin Korea. He won the scoring race. Uh, Paul's younger brother loved playing there, but I was going back during our national team breaks. I was going back and forth and just from a family perspective, you know, 16 years pro, you're like, you know what? It's time to move on. I got to put yeah. my family first. So uh, ended up doing that. I noticed from the stats you had uh, high penalty minutes when you're over in Europe. Were you suddenly a bit of a goon over there, or were you? Uh, or well, did I misread that? <laughs> yeah, no, I got, I got. There's one that I think a lot of penalty minutes. There was one I, I ran into the goalie. But no, I if if you finish your checks in that, I mean, you would, uh, you would draw things. The Finnish league is way more physical. It's a smaller rink between North America and Sweden. But it's much more physical. But no, I mean, I wouldn't, there'd be no fights or anything. And uh, it just, I think it just, uh, I think as a Canadian, sometimes over there, uh, I think you get a reputation. So, but there is nothing like, I was never a fighter at all. Doesn't matter where in the world I would play. So, no. <laughs> well, I want to give a quick shout out to Risto Pekarinen, who is my good friend. I did some school, believe it or not, in Helsinki as an oh, exchange nice. student. Okay. And he, he took, uh, 
he took pity on me and took me all around, introduced me to bandy, which uh, oh, yeah. is a big version of uh, a similar sport to hockey. Yeah. And he took me out to Jokerit games in Helsinki. So we saw them. Yeah. And I always, I always laugh because as a true Canadian, when I went over there, I only packed my school books, uh, two pairs of underwear and my skates. <laughs> and uh, when, when Risto met me, hearing I was a Canadian, he assumed I'm going to just be fantastic in hockey. And he brought me into his his team. He was in okay. a, a tier three team. And okay. of course, I disappointed them terribly. Oh, no. uh, but I had a great time over there. It's a great culture. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you had such a great experience. Over oh, there I loved well. it. I, for sure. <laughs> the, the hardest part was the dark, you know, in the winter. Yeah. And you really had to get around it. But I mean, I, I could live... I could live in Sweden or Finland easily. The people are great. Um, it's a great quality of life. So uh, it's uh, it's good stuff. Kent, do you still play hockey today? I do. Uh, you know, it's funny. A few, like last month, I would say, I played with uh, the Leafs alumni. We had a game in Smith Falls near near Ottawa, and it was great to see. There's, uh, you know, some of the familiar faces. Rick Natris, uh, Mike Kruzelniski, a uh, few guys like that that I had played with before. Who Todd Gill. Uh, can't forget Geller too, but uh, yeah. So I do play from time to time when I when I find the time. But I, it's a, such a great way to see guys still too, eh? And sometimes charity games and that. So try and stay active for sure. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I, I often worry when you play, whether it's beer league or you're out with the regular folk, knowing that you were in the NHL. Do you find they try and take a run at you or, or take advantage of you, or how do you yeah. deal with these minor league guys that want to be a big shot? Oh no, like I, I I play, we've got a group that plays pro when I can, it's in the middle of the day on a, on a Wednesday. And those are all the former pros. And that's a really good pace of hockey, but mm -hmm. guys are smart, right? Like you've kind of lived that life. Yeah. And if you are, you know, there's other groups that I play with and everybody, you know, nobody wants to get hurt. So I don't play with, there are leagues that have those, you know, guys that you're talking about. <laughs> I just don't even go on the ice with that kind of stuff. I just stay away from it. I got nothing left to do. <laughs> You've been so great with your time. I want you to talk a little about what you're doing today. And I'm going to couch that with this question because you are helping athletes manage their money and planning. What are the financial mistakes made by today's athletes? Is it a trope or do they really blow all their money on hangers on and cars and booze? What is the status of the athlete managing their money and how do you help them? I think that's a good question. So I say, if you say athlete, I think when you look at different sports, there's definitely different, uh, you know, cultures and, and how I would say hockey would be more conservative. So not that they would spend it and just specifically dealing with hockey players. I don't think that they, they spend it, you know, with a big entourage and, and this and that, but I do. So common mistakes that I see are overspending during their career where they don't really appreciate um, the fact that when the income stops to sustain a lifestyle with, you know, that's quite expensive, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, two, I would say they take on way too much risk, not only with investing, but putting it into different projects. They don't understand the risk because every two weeks they're getting, you know, sometimes six figures. Um, so they don't understand the risk that they're taking on. Uh, three, I would say that they don't retain control or knowledge about what they're doing. Uh, they delegate it. I've got a guy who does this. They don't ask questions. Uh, it's funny, just like not long ago, I was talking to Chris Pronger and he's talking about guys who, you know, they sign over power of attorney and they end up getting burnt. 
Um, the other thing too is I think the nature, and I'm seeing this with a lot of retired players, and my kids are both dual citizens too, right? They lived in the US, they were born in the US. The complexities of cross-border, not only estate planning, investing, and that sort of thing, I don't think people truly appreciate the complexity of it. And so, so two things kind of put me down the path of going this way and helping players. One is, uh, you know, with my dad dying at a young age, my mom and dad had planned well, and my mom had had done okay just with insurance money, and that enabled me to play rep hockey, which is expensive. It allowed mm -hmm. me to go to Notre Dame, and now we weren't rich, but it helped offset the the pain of losing my father and the income and everything that goes with it. When I was in Carolina, a teammate passed away, Steve Chason, and it was horrific. Um, and you know and, and without getting into big details and i don't think you would be alone but there was not a lot of planning there was not a lot of foresight with but who expects somebody in their 30s to die like that but that's kind of the point you need to get ahead of that and now i'm seeing guys that they haven't addressed things they haven't addressed their risks they haven't addressed their tax planning or whatever it's best to do it when they're playing but even after their career it's just you know, if if you have a million dollars, you're like, great, I got a million dollars. But if you started out with 10, there's issues. And so that's what I see is is guys don't guys don't make the change. They just they stick their head in the sand. And we've had meetings with players where like you need to make changes in and they're just it's almost like they hope that it just goes away. So we're just trying to what we do is we work on financial literacy, we talk with the players, we we want to educate them. We wanted them to make decisions, but educated decisions, and and we don't want to overwhelm them. We're not going to get into the details. Hey, this is the beta of this, the correlation of that, but it's so much more than investing. So when I retired, I finished my Cornell degree. I got the CFA, which is Chartered Financial Analyst, and there's very few former NHLs with that designation, but I really wanted that global gold standard in wealth management. And then I got my CFP certified financial planner, but that's the kind of thing we're an independent shop. We primarily our focus are business owners, incorporated professionals. And then to your point, we started the sports wealth management. And that's been just a wonderful way for me to help guys. Because when I played, I knew guys weren't doing the right thing, but I'm trying to stay in the NHL too. Yeah. Like I, I can't give advice, but now that I can fully devote resources and my time and help guys, my only fear is there's guys that I help too late. And it's it's really painful when I know they've done well and they haven't taken care of it. So they've overspent, they've trusted the wrong person, they've taken on too much risk, they've they've blown themselves up through some way, and it's really hard to see. So that's why, you know, I appreciate the chance to come on this podcast, kind of get the message out, because the more guys we can get the message out, I'm not saying everybody needs to be my client, but I think we can do more, whether it's the Players Association or the NHL, the alumni is doing a better job under Glenn Healy, but we need to get guys engaged and really help them understand the risks before it's too late. Well, so certainly I appreciate your time to help me get that message out. Well, I'm glad because certainly, Kent, you have much more credibility. You have been there. You have done that. Being a former yeah. player, they must uh, have a lot more faith in hearing it from you than from some other guy. So yeah. that's important, too.
Where can we follow Kent Manderville and where can we reach you and know what you're up to? What is the best way? So I think the best way is probably, you know, we did through our marketing initiatives. Uh, there's LinkedIn, obviously, but uh, we actually named the sports wealth group called Hockey Family Office. So they can Google that. There's a bunch of resources there. You can reach out through there. Uh, the main firm is IP as an in integrated planning, IP private wealth. Uh, but right now it's to the point where I've had podcasts, I've published articles, we've tried to get out there. But if you Google my name, that usually comes out. But it's Hockey Family Office or IP Private Wealth. And yeah, I mean, people can reach out. It's uh, it's uh, What I like to do is even just having a 20-minute, 30-minute phone call and uh, have guys reach out. And that's been really helpful too. So appreciate that. Shout out. Fabulous. Well, Kent, thank you very much for your time. It was fabulous to catch up with you and I wish you continued success. Thanks so much, Andrew. Really enjoyed talking to you. Me too. And to the listener, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast powered by Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Kent Manderville, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.